Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Peter Spiegel. We have a really good show for you today, so please stick with us for the entire hour. And remember to visit us on Facebook, where you can comment and share, and subscribe to Animals Today on iTunes. Recently, an important announcement came from Sea Shepherd Conservation Society about their whale-protecting activities in the Pacific. I just had a very informative discussion with Captain Paul Watson, founder, president, and executive director of the society. We began with Paul responding to my question of how many whales he saved from Japanese whaling. I think we've saved about 6,500 whales. We've exposed their illegal activities to the world that helped with the International Court of Justice making a ruling that their whaling operations were illegal. But last year, when we sent two ships down, we were unable to close in on them. We knew where they were, but we couldn't close in on them. And the reason being is that the Japanese government is subsidizing the uh, whaling fleet to the tune of $50 million a year and providing military technology and military personnel. And that technology is real-time surveillance, so they can see where we are at any moment. Uh, so we could never close the gap in on them. We simply can't compete with that kind of technology. So uh, it's a waste of uh, time and resources, and it costs a lot of money to go down there, to, to go down there knowing we're not going to be able to close in on them. So we have to find a new, a new approach. But at the same time, uh, I think that what we've accomplished over the last, well, since 2005, has been significant and has placed Japan in a very difficult and embarrassing situation uh, because we've definitely proven that their activities are illegal. Okay, so it's difficult and embarrassing. What has to happen next? I'm hoping that uh, other governments uh, that are signatories to the International Whaling Commission uh, agreements will take action, uh, like Australia and New Zealand. And um, there's some talk that they may. But, uh, you know, Japan is an economic superpower and, in fact, an economic bully. So in many ways, they get what they want. Uh, I mean, they've actually even placed me on the Interpol red list for the ridiculous charge of conspiracy to board a whaling ship. And this is a list for serial killers, war criminals, and major drug traffickers. I'm the only person in history to be put on that for something like that. But that mm. indicates just what kind of power they have. I mean, that is being investigated by the European Parliament, uh, a European Parliamentary Committee and the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights. But that could take years. So, uh, you know, I think that we've done everything we could with the uh, resources we had to stop them. And right now, they've lo- the quota is down to 333. No humpbacks will be killed. No fin whales will be killed. So that's a significant change from when we, we first began. Now, there's whaling elsewhere. The, there's Norwegian whaling, Icelandic whaling, and Danish whaling. Do you want to give us a status on that? Yeah, we have an ongoing campaign against Faroese whaling, which is Denmark, and... Uh, also Norway and Iceland. Uh, Iceland actually looks like uh, they may be getting out of it soon. Uh, They took 17 whales this year. Um, You know, we've hit those countries harder than we've actually hit the Japanese in the past. I mean, we sank half of Iceland's whaling fleet in 1986 and shut them down for 17 years. And uh, with the Norwegians, we've had many run-ons of them sending four of their boats to the bottom. Uh, These are ongoing battles, but, uh, you know, we've never, ever felt we were going to win these things overnight. We've been doing this, like, for four decades now. But we're making uh, we're making progress a little at a time, sometimes a lot at, uh, a lot at one go. But, you know, I think uh, it's a long term process. Can we uh, look at one of your other campaigns? And that is trying to protect the the little porpoise, the vaquita. What's happening with that? It's such a tragic story. 
We're now going into our fourth year with Operation Malagro, and uh, we'll be sending two ships there at the beginning of November. We're working in partnership with the Mexican Navy and the Mexican government. There's less than 30 of the individuals of this species uh, in, in existence. And so what our role is is to go in and drag, trawl, and grab all these illegal you know, gill nets that they're using. Uh, we Last year, we took 450 of them from the ocean. We also fly drones at night to catch the, the poachers, and we turn them over to the uh, to the Mexican Navy. So I, I'm pretty confident that if we haven't been there for the last three years, the Paquita would now be extinct. So we're doing all that we can um, and, and making an impact. A lot of people saying, I'll oh, just give up because, you know, the Paquita's not going to survive. But as long as one of them is alive, or two of them, hopefully, uh, we're going to continue to to do Operation Malagro, you know, we just can't give up on the species. And back to Japan, please. Uh, they're still slaughtering dolphins there yearly. They are, and uh, we can't go because they passed uh, last in June. They passed these uh, numerous anti-terrorism laws, and some of them were designed specifically against us. For instance, if more than two of us are in Taiji observing or documenting the killing of the dolphins, that will now be an act of terrorism. But the really the real problem is is that we can't get into Japan. Every everybody that we send to Japan is then barred from re-entry to Japan. Gee. After three years, we we simply ran out of leaders and and, and people to return. Uh, so, it, and and I don't want to send uh, inexperienced volunteers into a situation where they're going to be charged with uh, terrorism just for having a camera. But again, that's the kind of uh, country that we're dealing mm. with. They're backing up their illegal environmental crimes with uh, anti-terrorism laws, which are de- designed to stop anybody interfering with them. And to give you an example of their power, I was uh, scheduled to speak in early June at the United Nations. And the day I arrived in New York, they, uh, my, sp- my speech was canceled. I found out it was canceled because of pressure from the Nippon Foundation. And so what we have in the United Nations is the people who are causing the problems and committing the crimes are in a position to fund U.N. programs that are supposed to be stopping these crimes. So that's why no progress is being made. How many ships do you have now? We have 12 ships now, and they're all over the world. And, uh, you know, we're working with the Af- African countries like Gabon and Liberia, Santomi and Tanzania to stop uh, uh foreign poachers in their waters and uh we we right now we have 15 chinese vessels under arrest and we're, we're guarding them in east timor that we caught uh, a week ago uh in uh, august we uh were helped in the uh, arrest of a chinese vessel in the galapagos with 6900 sharks on board and the ecuadorian government acted pretty fast on that uh, the captain got four years the officers two and the crew one plus uh the confiscation of shipment six million dollar fine, and that's the kind of thing that we need from more from more countries. Uh, we're also doing campaigns to protect turtles on the island of Mayotte between Madagascar and uh, Mozambique. Uh, we're recovering ghost nets in the uh, Mediterranean, uh, and that makes us you know it causes a significant a number of uh, fatalities every year from marine life. And uh, oh God, we're, we're another vessel in, uh, in the Baltic protecting porpoises there. The um, John Paul de Joria right now actually is on route to uh, Dominica with uh, a couple of tons of dog and cat food, and that's going to uh, you know to to those islands as a part of the relief thing. And we'll be spending the next month just doing a, uh, relief runs for Dominica, Antigua, and uh, San Martin and Barbuda. 
So it should be evident to anyone listening who is thinking about whale wars as the scope of your activity that that certainly is just scratching the surface of your worldwide reach. It was, and because it's on television, of course, most people think that's all we do. So back to North America then, I just checked out the website, and there are about 20 chapters around the around North America. What do they do? Well, they're uh, education, fundraising, uh, and beach cleanups if they're on the shores and everything. Now, beach cleanups worldwide are a, a major campaign of ours. We, we pull about a quite a few uh, thousand tons every year off the beaches. And, uh, you know, that, that's happening in South Africa and Australia, throughout Europe, throughout Asia. What Sea Shepherd is is not an organization. We're actually an international movement, and all of those national entities are separate. Uh, and But we all work together under the umbrella of Sea Shepherd Global. Does the general public understand the impact of plastic in the seas, and how bad is that problem really? Uh, plastic breaks down into microplastics, and that's ingested by plankton, by fish, uh, and is a major, major problem. I mean, by 2030, there'll probably be more plastic in the ocean than there are there are fish. Uh, it kills seabirds, it kills marine mammals, it kills turtles. Uh, you know, a white, uh, for instance, a white or even a transparent um, supermarket bag underwater looks to a sea turtle like a, a jellyfish. And uh, they swallow it, and of course it uh, gets stuck in their intestines, and they and they die. Uh, microplastics. Uh, almost anybody who eats fish today, by the way, has microplastics in their body because mm. almost every fish has it in their body. And uh, these are microscopic particles of plastic, and uh, that is where the real problem lies. And what products are they in? Everything from the point of uh, you know cosmetics that have uh, micro beads in them, which go down the toilets and everything, and sinks and end up into the into the system. But you know you just throw a plastic bottle under the with salt water in the sun that breaks down. It gets brittle and it breaks down into tiny pieces. Uh, for instance, a major problem is in Midway Island where the albatross, uh, thousands by the way of albatrosses, die every year yeah. because uh, of the plastic in their in their guts. They can't get it out. There are numerous ways for individuals to support the society, the movement. Uh, where do they start? Uh, you can look us up on, uh, you know, seashepherd.org or on Facebook. Uh, I think we've got a couple of hundred Facebook pages, actually. But, um, you know, that's probably, the social networks are probably the easiest way to get in touch with us. Captain Paul Watson of Sea Shepherd Conservation Society, thank you very much for joining us on Animals Today. Thank you. Did you know that more than half of the animals that enter our country's shelters are euthanized every year? This amounts to millions of loving, adoptable dogs and cats being killed due to our nation's pet overpopulation problem. Too many dogs and cats are permitted to have litters, but there's just not enough homes to take them all in. We strongly encourage people to adopt pets from a shelter instead of buying from a breeder or a pet store. When you adopt from a shelter, more than likely you are saving a life. Please tell your friends and family about the pet overpopulation problem and encourage them to adopt from a shelter and save a life. And together we can stop this terrible ongoing tragedy and senseless killing of millions of loving dogs and cats. So spread the word. Adopt, don't buy. And remember, always have your pets fixed. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org. You're listening to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of the show. Well, I'm proud to say we are now in our ninth year of weekly broadcasts, bringing you timely and critical animal news from all corners 
corners of the earth. Join us each week as we explore animal welfare and animal rights issues, as well as fun pet topics with fascinating guests and experts. And if you don't catch the show live on your local radio station, you can listen two other ways by going to the Animals Today website, www.animalstodayradio.com, or as a podcast on iTunes. It is so easy to subscribe on iTunes. And when you do, each week, usually on Sunday, a fresh show will download right onto your device. Pretty cool. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner, and thanks for listening. Welcome back to Animals Today. Recently, Peter and I attended a symposium on animal law, a first for us. This one, sponsored by the San Diego County Bar Association, was their second annual animal law symposium. Both attorneys and non-attorney animal advocates attended, and even though some of the content was aimed at practicing lawyers, most of the information was generally understandable and certainly of interest to us. And as an added bonus, all of the refreshments served, including lunch, were vegan. We really have to applaud the association because we know that many animal welfare organizations and SPCAs still are not serving cruelty-free food at their events, something we strongly feel they ought to do. We also were finally able to meet in person a few prior Animals Today guests we had only met on the radio. And it's really nice when that happens around a, a shared passion. The eight speakers covered a wide range of topics, including efforts to move away from testing pharmaceuticals on animals and the regulatory hurdles in doing so, the USDA's removal of critical animal-related information from their website, and legal methods to relocate animals kept in inhumane settings. Other topics included dog bite legal hearings, wild horses, and service and emotional support animals. So you can see how important and wide-ranging the field of animal law has become in the overall effort to reduce cruelty and suffering of all non-human animals. But did you ever wonder where this came from? When and how did the discipline of animal law begin? Well, coincidentally, I just received the latest newsletter, actually a special report from International Society for Animal Rights, or ISAR, which addresses this very question, and I want to share that with you now. The last few decades have seen the birth and exponential growth of a new field of jurisprudence, mostly in the United States, but also elsewhere in the world, animal law. According to Wikipedia, animal law is a combination of statutory and case law in which the nature, legal, social, or biological, of non-human animals is an important factor. Animal law encompasses companion animals, wildlife, animals used in entertainment, and animals raised for food and research. The emerging field of animal law is often analogized to the environmental law because animal law faces many of the same legal and strategic challenges that environmental law faced in seeking to establish a more secure foothold in the United States and abroad. If seeds are the source, origin, or beginning of anything, important historical questions arise. What were the seeds of animal law, and who planted them in the United States? Joyce Tischler, attorney, founder, and president of Animal Legal Defense Fund, has identified the beginning of animal law in America. 
It was when ISAR and its longtime chairman, Professor Henry Mark Holzer, brought a constitutional challenge against a religious exemption to the Federal Humane Slaughter Act. The federal case was entitled Jones v. Butts. Ms. Tischler wrote that in the 1970s, first there was one. Henry Mark Holzer was a New York attorney who had practiced in the areas of constitutional and appellate law before joining the faculty of Brooklyn Law School in 1972. His earliest involvement with animal rights came as a result of a small donation he made to the New York-based group Friends of Animals. Alice Harrington, then president of Friends of Animals, called Holzer, inviting him to join her for dinner at her home. They discussed a variety of issues, but what caught his attention as a constitutional lawyer was Harrington's description of the Federal Humane Methods of Livestock Slaughter Act of 1958, here and after Humane Slaughter Act or Act. The Humane Slaughter Act specified that in order for slaughter to be considered humane, livestock must be rendered insensible to pain by a single blow or gunshot or an electrical chemical or other means that is rapid and effective before being shackled, hoisted, thrown, cast, or cut. However, the act also authorized, notwithstanding the previous definition of humane slaughter, slaughtering in accordance with the ritual requirements of the Jewish faith or any other religious faith that prescribes a method of slaughter whereby the animals suffer loss of consciousness by anemia of the brain caused by the simultaneous and instantaneous severance of the carotid arteries with a sharp instrument. Additionally, the act created a specific exemption for ritual slaughter. Ritual slaughter and the handling or other preparations of livestock for ritual slaughter are exempted from the terms of this act. Holzer thought that the creation of an exemption to federal law that provided specific protections to the dietary preferences of a particular religious group violated the Establishment and Free Exercise Clauses of the First Amendment. That federal case... Jones v. Butts was the first in the United States to expressly invoke the moral legal concept of animal rights. According to Tischler, the Butts case became the animal law movement in the United States. And she wrote, Holzer established his place as the first animal rights lawyer in the United States. I saw and Professor Holzer followed the Butts case with a lawsuit, Jones v. Beam. That was the first state case in America to invoke the moral legal concept of animal rights. Isar and Professor Holzer founded the Animal Rights Law Reporter, which, according to Joyce Tischler, became the legal clearinghouse for animal rights law information. ISAR and Professor Holzer organized and sponsored the first national conference on animal rights law, attended by Ms. Tischler and other lawyers interested in animal law. At that conference, for the first time, Professor Holzer publicly articulated his vision for using the law on behalf of animals. Largely thanks to Joyce Tischler and a few colleagues, the major result from the conference was to coalesce the attending lawyers and others into an informal network of like-minded individuals and to identify the tools necessary to create an entirely new, separate field of law, 
one which would take its deserved place among other long-recognized practice areas such as corporate law, property law, criminal law, and many others. These were the seeds that ISAR and Professor Henry Markholzer planted. What has grown from them in three decades is stunning. Courses in animal law are taught in virtually every major law school in America, usually using books expressly written for that subject of animal law lawyers. Conferences are frequently held for lawyers practicing animal law. Lawyers draft animal law legislation and lobby for their enactment. Dozens of law schools have nationally recognized programs in animal law. Other law schools hold moot court competitions on animal law subjects. There is a national animal law moot court competition. Professional law journals voted solely to animal law are published. Animal law lawyers testify before legislative committees. Laypersons with animal law problems use specialized lawyers. Articles, monographs, and books on animal law proliferate. National animal protection organizations have animal law lawyers on their permanent staffs. More and more college students enter law school to practice animal law. Animal law lawyers consult with lawyers who need specialized help. State and local bar associations have animal law sections and committees. Lawyers file friend of the court animal law briefs in many courts. The American Bar Association has an animal law subcommittee. Animal law lawyers litigate cases in federal and state courts throughout the U.S. ISAR is proud of how the seeds we and Professor Henry Mark Holzer planted have flourished. From time to time, we'll let our supporters know what new flowers have sprouted in today's jurisprudentially recognized field of animal law. The Endangered Species Act is under serious legislative attack, and recently these attacks are gaining strength in Congress. To explain what's happening and what we need to do, I'm pleased to welcome back to the show Jeff Flocken. Jeff is Regional Director, North America for IFAR, International Fund for Animal Welfare. Hi, Jeff. Hey. Hi, Peter. Nice to talk to you again. Great. So why don't you start by giving us a little historical background on the Endangered Species Act so we all know what we're talking about here. Absolutely. Um, the Endangered Species Act is one of the strongest laws in the world for protecting species. It was a piece of landmark legislation that was enacted in 1973. Um, and it came at the same time as some other very important environmental pieces of legislation were also enacted, such as the Clean Air Act or the Clean Water Act, and uh, later the Marine Mammal Protection Act. All these pieces of legislation together have been incredibly successful in helping to reverse some of the horrible detriment that was happening to the planet at the time here in the United States in particular. Um, and the Endangered Species Act is one that focuses on saving species, saving species that we know are in danger of extinction. And it's been around for how long? Uh, it was enacted in 1973. And in its present form, is it felt to work effectively? Is it really doing a good job? Absolutely. Um, right now, uh, there are 99% of the species that have been listed on the U.S. Endangered Species Act have been saved from extinction. Um, and that's over 2,300 different species that are getting protection right now mm-hmm. through this piece wow. of legislation. Now, one of the criticisms that you know we've heard about the act is that it's not successful because um, so many species have not been delisted or, uh, in a sense, recovered. Now, there have been some species that are recovered, but the problem is you have to look at this that 
the Endangered Species Act is an emergency room. When species get listed, they're typically in such far decline and so seriously threatened with extinction, there's no instant way to solve this problem. Instead, it requires planning. It requires looking what the threats are and addressing those threats. So the fact that 99% of the species that have been listed under the U.S. Species Act are still in existence speaks to how successful this bill is. What is happening in Congress? What sorts of bills are being proposed and by whom? Uh, the Endangered Species Act has been a target of special interest for a long time. Um, we have seen numerous attacks on the Endangered Species Act in the last two decades. The problem that we're facing at the moment, though, is that if any of these attacks are successful in passing the U.S. House of Representatives or the Senate, well, and the Senate, then there is a very low chance that the White House would veto these bills. Um, we've all seen that President Trump is adamant about deregulating and taking away protections from the environment, and that includes protections for wildlife and species. So the threat is very real, and Congress is aware of that. Last week alone, uh, there were six different bills all meant to undermine the Endangered Species Act mm. that had been reviewed or voted on in different committees, the Natural Resource Committee in the House. What sorts of bills? What are these bills trying to do? Can you give us an example? So they're attacking the SA in various ways. It's something you might consider like death by a thousand cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the bills is called the Sports and Heritage and Recreational Enhancement Act, or SHARE, um, includes provisions that would delist gray wolves in western Great Lakes states and in Wyoming, um, totally sidestepping any judicial review, basically throwing science out the window. Additionally, that same bill would allow the importation of polar bear, polar bear trophies that were taken just prior to the listing on the Endangered Species Act, but not imported. The biggest thing that the Endangered Species Act can do for foreign species, um, in these cases, the polar bears that were killed in Canada by American hunters, is stopping these hunters from bringing the endangered species back to the U.S. as trophies or selling products made from endangered species. We can't control what other countries do with their species, but we can control what Americans do on American soil. And as a nation, we've decided that we don't want to see species like polar bears or African elephants go extinct. Therefore, when they're listed under the United States Native Species Act, it prohibits the import, except in some cases, but it's generally, it stops the import of ivory and trophies and other yes. products made from these endangered animals. Um, other bills that were introduced include one that would prevent the Endangered Species Act from being able to list any foreign species. So animals like African lions or tigers, uh, elephants I mentioned before, would no longer have the protection of the Endangered Species Act. And ones that are currently going through the process seeking protection, like giraffes, which have experienced significant decline in population in recent history, um, or pangolins, uh, if you're familiar with those yes. small mammals that are scaled from head to toe, um, those are the most widely traded mammal in the world, and right now only one of the eight species is protected. So right now, both those animals have been petitioned to be protected under the Dave Species Act, and if that bill passed, that would be thrown out. Other attacks have been a little bit more technical. Yeah. So for example, there's a bill right now that would prioritize it 
delisting over listing of species. For example, like saying that taking a endangered species act off the sorry taking species off the endangered species act is more important than giving them protections. These are meant to kind of create hurdles to actually protecting these animals. Another one amends the ESA by making it more difficult to cover court costs, including attorney's fees in citizen lawsuits. Again, that's the best way that we have to get these animals protected is by sometimes having to sue the government and saying, look, all the science says that you have to protect them as the law is written. By making it impossible or overly burdensome for citizens to bring these lawsuits mm. against the government to enforce this law, it's going to basically stop us from being able to make sure that it happens and see these animals protected. Consequently, uh, IFA has launched a uh, multimedia campaign uh, featuring a bunch of celebrity animal ambassadors, so explain that to us. So this campaign called the One Act for All campaign, what it does is it looks at 50 different species that have benefited or could benefit from U.S. Endangered Species Act protections. Most of them are here in the U.S. or uh, can be found in the U.S. land or waters. Um, some are entirely outside of the U.S., like elephants, as I mentioned before. It is campaign encourages citizens to contact their legislators and tell them to take action. Tell them that we do not want to see the U.S. Native Species Act undermined or thrown out. This is an important law, and we know that Americans are by far in favor of the Endangered Species Act. They just need to realize that it's under attack and why that these special interests are trying to tear it apart. Another component of this campaign, the One Act for All campaign, is celebrities. When we started to do preparations for this and we're talking to different constituencies, we had celebrities saying they wanted to help, they wanted to know what they could do. And we actually crafted a component around the campaign where we paired 28 different celebrities with 28 species that were featured in the campaign. Species all, again, benefiting from the protections of the U.S. Endangered Species Act. And we had some really amazing and committed celebrities step up. Uh, Mark Ruffalo uh, was able to come, and he shot a video talking about the bald eagle. Yes, I saw that. Symbol He's... of our country, and it was just so impressive. Nice he was so moving. Similarly, uh, actress Kristen Bauer, famous for her role as Pam on True Blood and uh, as Maleficent on uh, the ABC show Once Upon a Time, she loves pangolins, this really obscure exotic species, and she gives the most beautiful emotional plea for saving a species on the video as part of this campaign. I encourage everyone to, to watch that if they go through this. And we did this with many of these celebrities. Some um, were able to take a photo. For example, Susan Sarandon took a photo with a leopard piece. All this uh, campaign ties around these couple dominoes, but they're small wooden pieces uh, made from sustainably sourced wood uh, of representing the different animals that we're talking about in the campaign. And the celebrities either had the videos taken or a photo taken with them. So Susan Sarandon had a photo taken with a leopard. Eddie Vedder from the band Pearl Jam had a photo taken with the Hawaiian monk seal. He lives in Hawaii and he feels very attached to that animal. Yeah. All these celebrities found species that they were really excited about. Mick Fleetwood from Fleetwood Mac um, got one with Emperor Penguin. Uh, penguins are um, the symbol for Fleetwood Mac. You'll see on all their record albums and all their promotional pieces. So he was very excited to be able to speak out on behalf of penguins, which we all know are facing dire threats from climate change. We live in an interesting uh, time where celebrities are so valuable to social campaigns, aren't they? 
absolutely. Interestingly enough, some of the celebrities on the campaign may not be that well known to older generations or even mm-hmm. myself, but with young people and young voters, they have huge followings. For example, Madison Beer is an up-and-coming singer. She prepared with the Jaguar for this campaign, and she has millions of followers on social media. Similarly, Josh Peck um, from a Nickelodeon series when he was younger and has a massive following on social media. I um, want to talk about the green sea turtle, which is the animal he feels very close to. So is a guy so, like so, Josh Peck uh, or mm-hmm. or Ms. Beer, are, are they asking their followers to call their Congress people also? I mean, did, is that does that work if you are 25 years old? Yes. You know, youth today are becoming inspired. They're seeing what's happening to the environment and to animals and other causes that they feel very strongly about. And if they're old enough to vote, they're old enough to call their representative constituents and let them know that they care about this bill and they care about saving species and they don't want to see the Endangered Species Act torn apart. Okay. What's the website where people can learn more? One Act for All. That's Jeff Flocken from International Fund for Animal Welfare. He's regional director for North America. Thanks a lot, Jeff, and good luck. Thank you so much, and I hope to hear this. Take action. More with Animals Today after the break. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and you're listening to Animals Today. We often say that Animals Today is your home for serious talk about animals, and we certainly cover the most critical and newsworthy topics and issues affecting all animals worldwide. When you join us, you'll hear fascinating interviews with leading animal advocates from all walks of life, from lawyers to whale protectors to authors to tortoise rescuers. Animals Today brings you timely, interesting animal news, and often our guests tell us how we all can take action to help our animal friends. But you know what? Just like you, we also love our companion animals, our dogs and cats and rabbits and more. Listen in and you'll get useful advice from expert veterinarians and animal behaviorists, as well as product news and reviews and more fun stuff. So join us on Animals Today and thanks for listening. Peter, 63% of Americans find dog owners more attractive than non-dog owners. Mm. The researchers at National Today, America's favorite online destination to commemorate quirky and fun holidays, asked 3,000 American dog owners about their furry friends. Okay, quirky. Lay it on me. Okay. 59% of men and 66% of women say dog parents... Mm-hmm. are sexier than non-dog parents. Never fear non-dog owners. 67% of men and 79% of women say someone who expresses outward affection to dogs is also attractive. Seven in 10 dog owners would rather spend time with their pooches. Well, we know that. Yeah. What, Un- do, you th- what do you think it is for the cat people? It's like 99%. Yeah, exactly. They'd rather spend time with their cat than like anyone in the world. <laughs> I know. Unmarried pup parents would rather spend time with their dogs. 39% of women and 23% of men say they'd choose to hang out with their pooch over going on a date. Yeah, that's sort of sad, I guess. Oh, going on a date. I mean, dates. how many dates turn out to be like I the know. real thing, you know? Overrated. <laughs> Top five reasons Americans love their dogs. Mm. Number one, 
My dog helps comfort me, 86%. Number two, my dog reminds me to seek out more joy, 71%. Number three, my dog helps me become more loving, 65%. Number four, my dog makes me look forward to going home, 64%. Mm -hmm. Number five, my dog teaches me to be more patient, 64%. You know, that's really interesting. It makes me wonder what, remember we were talking to Professor Hal Herzog about all these interesting things related to the relationships between people and their pets. I wonder if he would say that these opinions are really factual or people just saying what they believe and it's not necessarily true. Well, don't you think a dog owner is more sexy than a non-dog owner? Of course I do. (laughs) Men and women, right? Yes, yes. The men are sexier too. Okay. The top five most dog loving states based on how regularly dog owners in each state engaged in loving behaviors with their dog like spoiling their dog or giving doggy kisses number one like, like dog kisses in public yeah doggy kisses in public oh, okay. we, do, we do that what's number one number one state uh, i'm going to say how about uh, arizona California. Okay. Number two, New York. Number three, Washington. Number four, Tennessee. Number five, Florida. Hmm. There you go. Quirky, huh? That's quirky. <laughs> Let's find some other animal holidays. You're listening to Animals Today. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. I want to remind you to visit us at animalstodayradio.com. Like us on Facebook and go to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. Each week, we bring you the latest animal news from around the globe. Animals Today is a project of the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at aianimals.org. And if you like what you hear, consider donating to our cause of promoting compassion and respect for all animals. That website, again, is aianimals.org. Peter, October 20th is International Sloth Day, so I thought it would give us a chance to talk about sloths. Okay. Sloths are arboreal animals, so they spend most of their time in trees, and they are found in the rainforest in South and Central America. So as you might guess, Peter, since these cute little creatures live in trees, they feed primarily on leaves and fruits, and they have up to four-inch-long claws used to hold onto the trees. And actually, their claws are their only natural defense. So here's your first quiz question, Peter. Oh, there we go. Yep, here we go. In the past 15 years of our marriage, we've gone out in the real world and seen, what, four or five movies in actual theaters, right? Mm, yeah. One of these movies had a sloth as one of the characters. What was that film? Oh, I, not having children. Oh, was that Saving Private Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> what, were you going to blame not having children on not knowing that Ice Age? Ice Age. I okay. saw Ice Age. Okay. Do you remember his name? Of the sloth? No, no. Sid or oh, Sydney. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sloths first evolved in South America. You want to guess how many years ago? Okay. How many years ago? How about uh, five million years ago? 3.5 million years ago. Okay. Now, sloths are divided into two groups, three toad sloths and two toad sloths. Yes. Next quiz question, true or false? The slowest mammal in the world is the three toad sloth. True or false? Oh, false. It's true. Oh, my goodness. Average is a distance of only... miles per hour, which is about 13 feet per minute. So they're really not moving any further than 100 feet in a day. Well, you know, one of my co-residents, he had a nickname and he was called the Sloth. Now I know why. And that was a good nickname for him. He's slow walker, slow Slow, talker. Nothing gets done either. I hope he's not listening to the show. True or false, sloths are clumsy on land and in water. 
I'm going to say that's true. False. Sloths are clumsy on land, but are great swimmers. True or false? Sloths sleep... Tw- are, you, are you impressed how well I'm saying sloths? <laughs> sloths sleep 23 hours a day. Wow. Uh, true. False. Oh. Sloths only sleep about 10 hours per day, and they are nocturnal animals. Oh, they probably have to eat the rest of the day. True or false, algae grow on their fur, which camouflages them green, which blends with the foliage. Hmm. I've never heard of that. I'm going to say false. It's true. Oh, that is weird. Isn't that weird? Algae yeah. on their fur. You're not doing too well on this quiz. You don't know a lot about sloths. Mm. Three-toed sloths... Ice age. Three-toed sloths can turn their heads almost 360 degrees. True or false? False. True. Mm. True or false, Peter. Sloths are pack animals. No. False. False. Sloths are solitary creatures who only gather to mate. You want to guess how long sloths can live? Oh, uh, I'm going to say 12 years. Up to 40 years. 40? Mm-hmm. And finally, as you might guess, both the three-toed and the two-toed sloths are endangered. Aren't you impressed on how well I'm saying sloths so many times? <laughs> That's a hard one. Well, Lori, thank you for embarrassing me again, but I did want to tell you my little experience with sloths, okay? In Los Angeles, in downtown Los Angeles, the La Brea Tar Pits and Museum exists. You know about this place. You probably went there as a kid. You remember that? I don't remember that. <laughs> well, it's a wonderful place to visit. I went there alone once. I was surrounded by classes of children. And one of the featured animals is the now extinct Harlan's ground sloth. And this was this huge sloth that is not in the trees. It's on the ground. It went extinct at the last ice age, along with a bunch of other species they depict there, like mastodons and saber-toothed cats and these prehistoric camels and the direwolf. Anyway, these particular sloths could be up to 1,500 pounds, and they've got amazing displays showing uh, how they lived and also how they were hunted. So if you have a chance to go to the La Brea Tar Pits and Museum, it's really a neat outing, even without children. Thanks, Peter, and thank you for tuning in to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals. For the past quarter century, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. Its programs include reducing income taxes by allowing a deduction for spay and neuter expenses, preventing animals adopted from shelters from reproducing, and requiring the mandatory identification of dogs and cats to prevent dumping the unwanted. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.org. Hi, this is Lori. And it's Peter here. And make sure you check us out at AnimalsTodayRadio.com. AnimalsTodayRadio.com. And visit us on Facebook. And you can also subscribe on iTunes. Listen to us on iTunes. That's AnimalsTodayRadio.com. Thanks for listening.